0: Welcome to the podcast of Amago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Amago Day. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Um, as we have been walking through for Lent, we're looking at The sacrifice, how Jesus understood it, how he talked about it. And um, this morning, today and next week, uh, we're going to spend two weeks focusing on Jesus on the cross. Um, He was on the cross for six hours. And so today we're going to look at nine to noon, and then we'll look at the next three hours next week. And the reason that I want us to do this is because as, as we work through Lent, and for some of you that is a familiar thing, and you uh, fast from certain things or you sacrifice certain things, it, and the attempt there is that we're going to journey with Jesus on his way to the cross. Last week we looked at Jesus in the garden and the agony that he had and the prayer that he shared before the garden. The reality is, from the garden on, we don't really follow Jesus. Jesus walks that path alone. He goes to the cross alone. It's not something that we do with him. We don't redeem and help him redeem. We simply watch him go. And so today what I want us to do is to spend time meditating, to chew on, to really look at those hours that he spent on the cross what did he say how did people respond to him what would we have been doing if we were in the crowd what would our response have been before we go there though let me catch you up to how we get to the cross so on in the garden after jesus prays he wakes up his disciples and says let's go my betrayer is at hand. And Judas comes. And Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, kisses Jesus on the cheek, and they arrest him. After they arrest him, they take him to the high priest. And the high priest examines him to essentially see if they can bring a charge against him. After that, they bring the whole Sanhedrin, which is the religious leaders, and they put him on trial for blasphemy. When they finally come to a conclusion that he is guilty, then they take him to Pilate. And Pilate is the governor for Rome. Pilate examines him as well. And when they bring him to Pilate, they essentially say, look, he claimed to be king. You don't do that in Rome because there is no king but Caesar. As Pilate is talking with Jesus, Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. In other words, I'm not challenging Caesar here. And, and Pilate says, look, I don't find any reason to charge this man. And they just sort of get more animated. And one of his jobs is to keep the peace. And so he has Jesus beaten and sends him to Herod. And Herod is sort of this pseudo king that is ruling over a particular region on behalf of Rome. Herod likes to see kind of what's going on. He was interested in John the Baptist and then he had him beheaded. Now he's been hearing about Jesus, so he really wanted to meet him. And as they as Herod tries him, he sends him away to be beaten. They put a purple robe on him as a king. They beat him with lashes, with fists and send him back to Pilate. By the time he gets back to Pilate, his Joints are probably out of whack. He's been uh, brutalized, and Pilate condemns him to be crucified. He actually offers another prisoner on his behalf, and the crowd chants, crucify to Jesus. And he condemns him to death. By the time he would have been walking with the cross... On the way to Golgotha, he would have been brutally beaten. Face, hands, back, very difficult to even recognize his face. And then we read these words. Luke 23:32. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. We are punished justly for we are getting what, we, what our deeds deserve, but this man's done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. As Jesus is gone to the place of the skull, and he's crucified, nailed to the cross, he sits there, he hangs there between two criminals. This Messiah rabbi who had never done, committed any sin is now condemned to die by execution, by Roman execution. And there are two criminals that stand between him uh, on his right and on his left. A crowd that sits out there jeering him and mocking him And out of the seven sayings of Christ on the cross, we hear his first one, which is, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Jesus taught a lot about forgiveness. Earlier in this same gospel in Luke, it says, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times they come back to you and say, I repent, you must forgive them. And the apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. Now, why would they say that? Well, they're saying that because forgiveness is tough, right? And it's one thing to be able to, to say, look, if somebody sins against you, you need to forgive them. That's what Jesus teaches. You can go, Fine. And then he says, if they do it seven times in a row on the same day, and they keep coming back, you still need to forgive them. If you experience that, right, how are you feeling around time five, (laughs) right? Like, really? Okay, I forgive you. Ten minutes later, same thing, right? There is a sense when you are offended, when somebody has offended you, has done something against you, when you are the victim of somebody else's sin, you're the one that pays the cost of that. And in paying the cost, you're paying it with your own self, your own person, your own soul. So to grant forgiveness is essentially to say, I'm not holding you accountable To what you did to me, I will bear the brunt of that. Jesus has this radical picture of forgiveness. Seven times in a day for the same person, the same offense. But he doesn't just teach forgiveness as some kind of high bar morality. He practices it. And on the cross where the people that he came to save, the people for which he truly is their Messiah King, are mocking him and jeering him. The people who pounded the nails in his hands and feet. The governors and rulers who condemned him to be executed. His response is, Father, forgive them. They're ignorant of what they're doing. They don't understand what's happening here. Jesus understands the pain of forgiving people far more than you and I ever will. They mock him and they question him. They're they're not just doing it as characters in a play. They have honest regard for what they're saying how could someone who said all that he said who did all that he did if that was true how could he let this happen to himself he performed miracles it's been rumored people have witnessed those miracles why can't he come down off the cross We know the story that he's raised Lazarus from the dead. He's raised other people from the dead. Why can't he get himself out of this situation? The the one who was the father's son, who claimed the closest relationship there is to the father, now hangs dying, making no defense for himself. The human imagination has only one way to interpret this and it's defeat our minds have no other category than defeat so the mocking and the questioning from rulers and soldiers and scoffers are pummeling him all morning long There's a sign that hangs over his head that said, this is the king of the Jews. The Jewish rulers protested this, but Pilate had it put up. And he said, what I have written, I have written. And it was this declaration that the king of the Jews, the one who was supposed to rule and reign and triumph over all the enemies, is now crucified hanging there as a paradox. Somehow, as we look at this scene, that the king, God's Messiah, hanging on a cross, brings us into this confrontation of heaven and earth, where Jesus, through this suffering, he gains victory over death by dying. He conquers death by giving his life up. He conquers sin by becoming sin. He overcomes the grave by being buried in it. It's a completely upside down way of living and being and understanding reality. And yet that's how Jesus, that's what he's doing up there on the cross. But if you're sitting there in the crowd and you see the sign and it says King of the Jews and there is a man who is broken dying and hanging it just it looks like defeat the soldiers are dividing up his clothes they're literally like rolling dice to see who gets his last possession everything he owned is now being auctioned off through a little dice-rolling scheme by the soldiers. Jesus didn't have a home. He didn't have livestock or a farm or land. All he had was the shirt on his back, and now that's been taken from him, used in a game by the people who put the nails in his body. He literally sits there hanging with just his undergarment, He's lost everything and given every earthly thing up to be on that cross. There are two criminals next to him. One wants to use God for his own benefit. You kind of get this picture if you've ever watched movies about prisoners trying to escape. they're, They're always looking for the guy who might have a way out and you become fast friends with that person. And he's kind of doing that. He's hanging there, and even though he's dying, he's like, well, maybe this guy has a plan. Like, you're the Messiah, get us out of there, and us, by the way, and us. Make sure to take me with you. Even on the cross, this thief just looks at Jesus, and all he can see is his own way out. If he is the Messiah, then do your Messiah thing and get me out of here. The other comes to faith in that moment. He believes and he prays. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a confession of faith, and it's responded to by Jesus with a promise, today you'll be with me in paradise. In all reality, we are the thieves on the cross. Some of us come in every week to church and we, we don't really want Jesus for who he is and what he's accomplished. We just want him to do his Messiah stuff in our life and get us out of the mess that we're in. And the quicker that he does it, the better. It's, yeah, that's great. You died on the cross and you rose from, that's awesome. But get me out of this. There's also those who come every Sunday. And it's that simple confession that says, Jesus, you're the one who did nothing wrong. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I believe you are who you say you are. And Jesus' promise to say, today, this day, you'll be with me in paradise. You'll breathe your last breath and you will be with me in paradise. And this thief on the cross never went to a Bible study. He He didn't go to church one time. He didn't do anything right. And he gets to go to paradise. I think sometimes if you've followed Jesus for a long period of time. You begin to think you don't deserve to have that kind of intimacy with Jesus. On Monday, uh, 28 years ago, last Monday, is the day that I came to faith, and I remember the day. And I remember it just being like, I've never been to church, I don't know the language, I don't talk right, I ask the wrong questions, I don't think these people want me here, like, I had nothing to bring to the table. And so it all was grace, right? It was like, Jesus, uh, I got nothing, but I love you, and that was enough. And then you live your life for 20-plus years, and you're like, man, I still suck really bad, Jesus. Like, and, and it's almost like I can't keep coming back to him like I did when I was 18, I should have had everything figured out by now. As if he's like, yeah, you should have. I don't I don't want to be the guy that comes back 7 times in a row the same day like, ah, sorry, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> but the point of the cross isn't that you'll ever come to a place where you go, "Hey Jesus, thanks for dying. I'd like to contribute to that." You don't, I don't need nearly as much grace as I used to. Uh, I didn't have, actually even need you to die all the way. I'm doing so well now, right? We always come in an impoverished estate. We always come broke. We always come with nothing. The way that this thief on the cross comes to Jesus would have been no different if he spent his life going to Bible studies he still brings nothing but his need to Jesus. And so if you're feeling that resistance, obstacles, like I don't know if Jesus can accept me, then you need to understand that the cross is a historic proclamation that you in your desperation are welcome into paradise. Just by trusting Christ, by looking up to him on the cross and feeling gratitude and horror and worship and mystery in what he's accomplished. Ten words is all he prays, and ten words does the job. You don't have to have religious lingo down. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to pray a certain prayer. You just come and he knows your heart. And in that sense of desperation, Lord Jesus, you did nothing wrong. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' promise is that's enough. Still in these first three hours, there's one more scene that I want us to go to in John's Gospel. John 19, 25 through 27 says this. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. It's a scene where Jesus... Has one thing left to do, and that, as the oldest son, is to secure the care for his mom now that he's dying. You see the human side of Jesus, and not just in the blood that he's shedding, in the cries that he's making, but you also see it in the heartfelt emotions that he has towards Mary. As Mary sits there, We know that this is the woman who brought the Messiah into the world. She gave birth to the Jesus who now hangs upon the cross. The angel declared to her, look, you will have a son and he will be great and he'll be called Emmanuel, God with us. As they took him into the temple, eight days later to have him dedicated, a prophecy was made that a sword would pierce her heart. And as she sits there looking up at the cross, that sword is being driven into her heart. The woman who brought him into this world for this moment stands watching her son die on the cross. And so Jesus entrusts her care to John, the beloved disciple, He says, Behold your son. And to John, he says, Behold your mother. He wanted to make sure that she'd be cared for, she'd be protected, she'd be provided for. When you look at these first three hours on the cross and you picture yourself in that scene and to think what Jesus is physically and emotionally and spiritually going through, One passage that helps us get kind of an inside glimpse into what Christ is thinking and feeling comes from Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a prophecy and a prayer. It was written about a thousand years before the crucifixion event. But it gives us this detailed description of Christ on the cross and the victory that he accomplished for us. And I want you to listen to the words as you think about what Jesus might be feeling. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer, by night, but I find no rest. Yet you're enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and they were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults and shake their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. You brought me out of the womb and you made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Don't be far from me for trouble is near, and there's no help to me. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me, and I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, and it's melted within me. My mouth is dried up like pot shred and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord... Do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he is not... Despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vow. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet born, he has done it. The psalm begins with the lament, the agony of what he's suffering. You get an internal glimpse as Jesus hangs there on the cross of the words that could be going through his head, these scripture words from Psalm 22. And he ends with praise, but he doesn't start there. He suffers his way into praise. As though the death on the cross anticipates the grave and the victory that his dominion will have no end, that he will be the king of kings. He will have the victory over death. But not in that moment. And so today we come as thieves on the cross Some of you, some of us are here just wanting Jesus to do his Messiah stuff and fix our life and get us out of the situation. But others of you have come, realizing that you come with just your need. You come dependent, you come humble. When you look at Jesus on the cross, when you see the suffering and the agony, there's something in you that is drawn to worship, to love, to feel the emotion of guilt and gratitude. It's through faith that we come today, believing that that there was a people who proclaimed his righteousness to a people not yet born. And we are those people. When the psalmist wrote that 3,000 years ago, we have, are, are part of that long line of people who have heard this story proclaimed and find ourselves answering, Amen, he has done it. And so what we do here today and what we do in the moments that follow this is that in a world where all kinds of stories try to frame us in and define us and tell us what we should be or what we should think, and in every hour of every day that you and I are not listening to this story, there are alternative stories being told to us. But when we come here this morning into this room, we listen again. We look up and out of ourselves to see the one who is the story. To receive from him the mercy of that promise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. We come Hoping and trusting that despite all that we need and all that we've done and all that we don't have together, that he's enough and that he'll receive us. And so we come to this table today and this table is that sacrament. It's a place where our moment in time, this moment, this hour In April of 2017, heaven breaks in and meets us in this moment. And it becomes sacred space and sacred time. Where this story of Christ crucified meets us, heaven meets us, in this bread, which is that broken body. And in this wine, which is that blood poured out of the new covenant. This sacramental space is the space for us to come and worship the one who gave himself for us. Would you pray with me? For a moment, I'd like you just to quiet your heart. Picture yourself in this scene. Put yourself in this scene. Are you a thief on the cross? Are you in the crowd? Are you a soldier with Jesus? Listen for those around you who mock him. Look up and see him there. He looks at you. What does he see? And then you hear him say, Father, forgive him. Forgive her. They know not what they do. Jesus, this morning, we stand in awe. We stand in wonder. We stand in the mystery that your death is sufficient for the massiveness of our need. Jesus, we stand today in your love and in your grace. And we stand in awe of seeing you on the cross. Thanks is such a small word There is nothing in the human language that that we could say that would convey what we experience by your spirit in our heart. But I pray that you would take us in this moment and you would remember us, Jesus. you would meet us at this table and we would worship you in an act of love and gratitude for the love that you have shown us. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.